1: Welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, aka GMAC. And it's time to preview the next upcoming matchup On Tuesday night Against the Portland Trail Blazers Who have not made the Portland pivot just yet But don't you worry There's a trade deadline coming And then we will all be on the lookout For when suddenly there's nothing but G-Leaguers on this team Uh, Joining me to talk about this matchup Is going to be Sean Hyken He covers the Blazers uh, for Substack I believe, but has been covering the league For a while now He has a Substack newsletter called The Rose Garden Report We love people with a Substack newsletter. In fact, we are a people uh, with a Substack newsletter, although it's really John that does. So, obviously, uh, you can check out uh, Sean's newsletter if you want to sign up for free or sign up for a subscription. The link is in our description of this episode. The Blazers come into this game at 10 and 25. They are currently on a seven-game road trip. This is game five of said road trip. They just got their first win on said road trip on Sunday night in overtime against Brooklyn. They are 26th in net rating, 20th in defense, 28th in offense, double digit wins this season. So I did some research and the 30 teams in the league, 10 teams have at least 20 double digit wins. The Knicks are one of them. They have 22 double digit wins this season. Well, there are six teams that have less than 10. Now, five you understand why the the Detroit Pistons have two the Wizards have three the Spurs have four the Blazers who come in here at 10 and 25 have five uh, the Hornets have four and then one team you might not expect especially with what they've been for the last decade and that's the Golden State Warriors who only have seven double-digit wins this season how the, the mighty have fallen unfortunately this season. Uh Scott Henderson who went third in the draft is going to be come up come up as a topic of conversation this year. Full disclosure, I saw the report back in November that he was being sent to the G League. I thought that was because of how bad he was struggling. Never followed up on it because the Portland Trail have not crossed my radar a ton. And apparently it was just like for an injury. You're going to hear me mention it that he went to the G League. Uh when talking to Sean, he was he clarifies uh, what actually happened, but he obviously has struggled this season. In fact, uh, through 25 games of his career, I should say 25 games that he's played in his career, Scoot Henderson has a 24.9 usage and a 421 effective field goal percentage. So let's look at history, at least this century. Who are the who are the players that have that usage matched with that feel effective field goal percentage as a rookie? Well, it's three players. The first is a future Hall of Famer who has made the All NBA team nine times and won an MVP, and that's Russell Westbrook. Then there's a former Nick, once a Nick, always a Nick, although I think he would like to forget his time as a Nick, and that's Kemba Walker. Who uh, had these numbers? The four-time All Star with the Hornets, or excuse me, at the time the Bobcats, and obviously it's been documented plenty that he struggled for the first four or five years in the league before finally finding his footing around year five or six. A lot of people in the the RJ camp that have wanted to preach patience have said, "Like, look at what Kemba has done." The last one is Emmanuel Moutier. Again, once a Nick, always a Nick. Spent six seasons in the league, really five seasons playing in the league. And, uh, yeah, had these numbers pretty much consistently throughout his entire career. So there's a there's a worst case scenario and a best case scenario for Scoot. I know the comp was Russ because of his speed um, a lot through the draft. But he is off to a pretty rough start to his career. He's He was coming off the bench, has only recently been inserted into the starting five, and has looked somewhat better. He's scoring more points, he's getting more usage, and we'll see what version of him shows up in this game on Tuesday night. Let's hear more about it with someone that's an expert on the Portland Trail Blazers. Here is my conversation with Sean Hyken of the Rose Garden Report, previewing this matchup on Tuesday against the Portland Trail Blazers. Enjoy! Welcome to the Knicks Film School Podcast, Sean.
2: Thanks for having me on, Andrew. Good, good to be with you.
1: Um, I'm happy to have you and I'm interested to talk about this this basketball team, the Portland Trailblazers, that are 10 and 25. And just recently, um, on Patreon, Mr. Macri and I did a power rankings. And we don't do like the best teams in the league one to 30. We don't do the like championship contenders. It's a how you feeling power rankings. And I didn't know where really to put the Blazers. Obviously, it was closer to the bottom of the rankings as far as like the bottom five are concerned, because there's like five teams that are quote unquote tanking. Mm -hmm. But usually you have a player, whether it be the Spurs with Wemby or the Pistons with Cade or even the the Hornets with LaMelo, that you could be like, we have a player that we're Mm -hmm. at least excited to be building around. And with Portland, You would think it's Scoot Henderson, but with what happened in November with him having to go to the G League, there's some questions from the outside looking in. So if you could, let's just start there and lighten us. How have things gone this year with with Scoot to to the Knicks fan that hasn't watched a ton of the Blazers this year? And is there any cause for concern that the vibes would have you not feeling very great at the moment?
2: Well, just for some clarity, Scoot was not sent to the G League to play. That was a, that was a, I think like a two hour rehab assignment. Basically. Oh, okay. The team, got it. The team, the team was prac He was that he was coming off the ankle injury and the team was on the road and wasn't going to practice. And so he, that was basically, they just had him go down there for, and they literally sent out the we assigned him and the we recalled him announcements like two hours apart. So he basically just like went out there and got a practice in. So that was. He was not assigned to. He the
1: was TV. not officially playing. No, in no, the TV. no, no. Got no. He it, got it. He has not. He so has then not, the, the he has not cl- appeared
2: in a game to with the Rip City Remix. But but better uh,
1: clarification then real quick yeah. is just based off of how his season has gone. It has yeah. been one would argue a disappointment. Maybe you can clarify how much of a disappointment it's been. Well, it depends on
2: what you were expecting. Like if you if you go in expecting. Well, he's the number three overall pick and they're basically because they drafted him is why Damian Lillard, the franchise's all-time leading scorer, requested a trade. And then he, you know, they trade Dame two days before the start of training camp or whatever it was. And then, you know, now scoots the guy. If you look at it from that standpoint, yeah, it's been a disappointment. He, you know, the first five, he played in five games at the beginning of the season and before he had the ankle injury and it was not good. Like it did not go well. <laughs> it was pretty rough. He was just not ready for it. And then you know he's come back from the ankle injury. He's mostly been coming off the bench until recently. They had some injuries, so he was moved back into the starting lineup. And he's been starting for the last week or so. And I think he's going to continue to start for the next little bit. And I would say it's getting better. Like he's he's starting to figure it out a little bit. It's it, in terms like you'll, there'll be one or two plays a game where you're just like one of those like highlight passes where you're just like okay this is what. This could be, or like a finish at the rim, or like the athleticism is still like really like when when he does get downhill and he has a chance to finish, it's it's pretty incredible. But it's just you know it's still a lot of you know bad turnovers, fouls that are you know called on rookies for reaching in too hard defensively. Uh, the three point shot is still very much a work in progress. I think that's gotten a little bit better over the last month or so, but that's still very much not where it would need to be long term. But I think the thing that people need to remember, and I've actually kind of been trying to all all summer manage people's expectations on this stuff. How many 19 year old point guards have come in and been good right away? Mm. Like there's really hasn't been like, I can think off the top of my head, like Derrick Rose, when he came out of Memphis. That was the number one pick or like Kyrie Irving 10 years ago. But like De'Aaron Fox was awful his rookie year. So was Darius Garland. Dame was awesome his rookie year, but people forget that he was a four-year college guy. So he was 22 when he came into the NBA. It's a different level of readiness for it. So I, you know, I kind of think it was always going to take some time with Scoot, but all the stuff you hear about him behind the scenes, as far as like he puts in the work, he's coachable, he's a good teammate and, you know, he's, he's doesn't you know he watches film all that kind of stuff all the, all the, all those sort of indicating factors are there to make you think okay like it's a little premature to just write this guy off because the first 2 months of his rookie season at 19 haven't gone the way that maybe people thought they would based on where he was drafted
1: so based off of the uh- we'll say slow arrival that has started like you said the there's somewhat of a project nature to him although like you said he's 19 and there's an, a long history of 19 year olds coming into the league especially a point guard and right. being all the way ready how's the fan base taking it are they patient because the last like, this is the guy that replaced dame technically in if you want to just sit uh, make the one-to-one as the next point guard in uh-huh. the franchise but uh is there a While there's a learning curve for him, is the fan base able to accept said learning curve and the timeline that comes with it?
2: I think most people, I mean, you're you're always going to see, you know, extreme reactions at one end of the spectrum or the other on social media, depending on how much of that stuff you look at. I, you know, as a beat writer, it's like my responsibility to at least look at enough of that stuff to kind of get the general idea of what people are talking about and where people's heads are at, as far as the fan base is concerned. So of course on one, you know, you'll see like, you know, he has a good game and people, and there are some people who are like, this means he's a future all-star and he's fully figured it out now. And then you'll see (laughs) some people after the first five games of the season where he was terrible are just prepared to just call a kid a bust and say like, it's over, it's not going to happen. I think by and large, because, you know, same request the trade on July first. I think everybody knew that eventually the trade was going to happen. It didn't happen till like the end of the summer. But once it happened, people had kind of had the whole summer to, you know, prepare for the fact that once you know a top ten, arguably top ten player in the league, Damian Lillard, who's been there for ten years, is not there anymore. The record is probably going to be what the record is probably going to be. And then for the next couple of years, that's just kind of what it's going to be. And you don't worry as much about wins as losses as you do about development. And so I think those expectations being set from the beginning, where it's not like they go into the season thinking they're going to be a playoff team, everybody knew what this was going to be as far as where they were going to be in the standings. And I think that lends people more to being willing to be patient and let this kid figure it out. And I think also just the fact that. A he's 19, so it's like you can't really expect like Luke, like Luca's nineteen Luca was nineteen when he came to leave, but that, that that's a different thing. He's six foot seven. It's not the same thing as like a six foot four point guard who I mean generally listed at six foot four. But like I don't think there's a whole lot of panic among the fan base from what I've seen. And certainly people I've talked to in the organization and in the front office are happy with how things progress and kind of understood that like you talked to Chauncey Billups about him and I think everybody understood that even though he played in the G League last year, which is a professional league, like it was going to take a little bit of time for someone that young to get used to the speed and the physicality of the league. And, you know, his decision making was going to have to improve. And, you know, he was going to have to get used to like the way he's officiated and the way he's defend, you know, the way, the way that he's defended or, you know, what's he going to do if he drives to the rim and doesn't have anything? Like, where does he go with stuff? That stuff, I think everybody in the organization and everybody whose opinion matters on this stuff kind of knew that it wasn't going to happen overnight. And I think overall, if you, if you ask guys, if you, if you ask like Chauncey or you ask people in the front office, I think people are pretty happy with where things are at, all things are con- things considered. And I think people expected it to be a multi-year thing with him to become whatever he's going to become.
1: Well, just being a backscore score scout for a second and seeing how his minutes have gone up and with the minutes going up, his usage has gone up as well. What should a Knicks fan expect on Tuesday night, specifically from Scoot, as far as his involvement in the offense, his uh, overall... Um, I, the, it, I'm trying to think of the right word to use it, but like how much how much he's featured in the offense. Uh, I know this is mostly Anthony Simon's team when it comes to the points and then the rebounds and everything. Well, really, the points being Uh scored along with Jeremy Grant. But um, like what should a Knicks fan be somewhat uh, concerned that this is a a Portland team? Like They're coming off a win against Brooklyn and, you know, that the the formula for how they can get a win uh, across town might actually work against them as well.
2: Well, the guard rotation has been interesting just because they've had so many guys in and out over the last couple of weeks or so. Scoot has been starting and he's gonna start a game tomorrow. Like we asked Chauncey after the game because because Scoot, you know, and this was a little bit of a talking point, did not play basically at all in the fourth quarter in overtime. And I think that was more Scoot was fine yesterday. He I think he shot three for eight, but you know, didn't have any turnovers. It was it was a it was a decent game for him it wasn't he He wasn't terrible out there but Chauncey just didn't close with him because what who they had out there with you know Shaden Sharp Malcolm Brogdon like the lineup that he had out there was working so he stuck with it and so that's kind of you know it's like a game to game thing he's not a coach Chauncey Billups is not a coach that is like super set in his rotations where this guy goes in at this time this guy plays this many minutes this guy only plays with this guy like he's gonna
1: try like stuff out like or, tom thibodeau one might say i know i
2: know tom, i used to cover the bulls back uh-huh. in, I, so I I know tom very well so i've heard right. you know i'm i know exactly what you're talking about there and honestly the blazers former head coach terry Stotts was pretty rigid in his rotations at times too no chauncey's willing to kind of try stuff out and you know there have been times where he's kept scoot in late in games when maybe he shouldn't have because he wanted him to get the rep so i it's it's gonna be it like because like yesterday you know He closed with Malcolm Brogdon because Malcolm Brogdon was playing well. And I think, you know, you can say, you know, for a rebuilding team, it's more important for the younger guys to get the reps. But also they were coming off a pretty disastrous start to this seven game road trip where they they get blown out the first game in Phoenix. They get blown out. Then they have like the baseball series in Dallas. They get blown out in the first game and then the second game, Luca doesn't play and they get blown out again. And then they've got the Knicks tomorrow, who are a you know a pretty decent playoff team and haven't lost a game since they traded for OG. Uh, and then they close the road trip with a back-to-back with Minnesota and Oklahoma City, the two best teams in the West. So if they didn't get that Nets game, that could be an 0-7 road trip. And then you're talking about something very different as far as the vibe, so to speak. So I think they kind of felt like they needed to get a win. And if that meant leaning more on the veteran guys like Malcolm Brogdon and Anthony Simons than uh, somebody like Scoot, who you can say long-term maybe needs the reps more, I think that's something they're willing to do. But Chauncey's attitude the whole time has been, for these younger guys, and you saw this a little bit with Shaden Sharp last year when he was a rookie and still kind of figuring it out his way you know, in the NBA – if you earn minutes, you'll play minutes. He's not going to say like, oh, I'm not going to play him because he's a rookie or I'm not going to have him out there at crunch time if he's, if, you know, if he's playing well just because he's a rookie. So to answer your, that's a really like long way of not answering your question, but I just, they, you know, they don't, they don't really have a set, you know, this is their closing lineup. It just kind of varies from game to game depending on matchups and, you know, who's playing well or which lineups are, you know, kind of getting results or not at the moment.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: The biggest thing that stood out to what you just said to me about scroot staying out there just to get the reps mm-hmm. and to get the mistakes out you know that that's one thing like i value what tibbs has brought to the knicks and and the overall job he's done i think has been a, i have to say it's a good one i there, like tom the, a
2: lot too i cover again i covered him in chicago and i always he and i always got along well I, i've always liked him well I so know. he is what he is he, he is yeah. what he is there are there are certainly criticisms to be had of him but i i i was a tibbs guy when he was in chicago and i was covering him
1: too so. I, I think I overall fall on the because if you're not a Tibbs guy, you're the other side of the, the coin. and I'm not there. It's for like sure. where
2: it's like, you know, I, I, I can just imagine like every, you know, fans of every team are just like, why isn't my coach playing this young guy? That, like And I know that there was a little bit of like he didn't like Emmanuel quickly for whatever reason. And that's why, you know, he was included in the OG trade and wh- whatever. But like, <laughs> and by the way, just as an aside, when you're talking about like Tibbs and the Knicks and other places where, you know, our areas of coverage have crossed up, cross over. The minute that Portland traded Josh Hart to mm-hmm. New York last year, I was just like, Josh Hart is designed in a lab to be a Tibbs guy. They are like wired the exact same way. They're both psychos. They're both the exact same person. Like as soon as that trade happened, I was like, he is going to be an incredible fit in New York, and he's going to be a fan favorite from day one. So just I'll just throw that out there too. I love he's,
1: Josh. He's been, I think, for the most part, a fan fan favorite. I, I, there, there was some. There was some Josh Hart, RJ lineups that just never worked that Tibbs couldn't, yeah. couldn't get past. <laughs> but, you know, for the most Tom part, has the, the guys he likes and he doesn't like. <laughs> well, so the thing is, the Quickly lineups were always like killing it when they were next to Hart. The Josh sure. Hart Emmanuel Quickly pairing was almost, I mean, I don't even almost, was always a success. Yeah. Well, no, quickly, I would argue can. No, I'm it, talking about Josh and... uh, uh the, the Josh Hart and RJ, yes. Especially yeah. in the playoffs when he was using it, because RJ yeah. was on a different planet and was able to... was actually hitting shots last playoffs. And so, you know, because of how they were being guarded, it made spacing very interesting. But uh, the point being, um, while I I appreciate what Tibbs is, he can, he can be set in his ways. Mm-hmm. And really, two years ago, when the Knicks weren't going anywhere the desire on behalf of the fan base was like just give quickly the reins for two months let's see what this is you know like they're not making the playoffs they're they're like 17 games under 500 and we saw two months of Alec Burks at point guard and quickly was like was like uh, nailed to the bench as like you are the sixth man and i will not play you more than sixth man minutes and then last year quickly earned like some starter minutes and we got to see what that looked like so much so that quickly starter minutes disqualified him according to some of the voting for sixth man of the year. Um, It's why Malcolm Brogdon ended up winning, Um, which what I I take away from Chauncey Billups kind of trusting scoot or wanting to give scoot the reps is that this really is a rebuild that like the priority is to get these younger kids reps to get Shaden sharp some experience um, uh, in a, in a situation where winning is not, 100% 100% the goal in a way that will prioritize that over development. Is that a fair assessment?
2: Overall, yes. But I think what's been interesting about the way that they've approached this is I think everybody kind of, knew, like I said before, everybody, whether it was like the fan base or those of us that cover the team or, you know, the coaching staff, the front office, pretty much everybody around the organization knew that the record was going to be what the record was going to be this season Mm -hmm. and that they didn't even have to do any weird, like the last couple of years when they, you know, shut Dame down with the injuries and they were literally like blatantly playing G leaguers to manipulate the lottery standings. They're not going to have to do that this year because they're just going to naturally lose enough games to get to where they need to get to with the lottery and stuff anyway, but... Yes, they do want to develop these guys, and I think there's going to be a lot more of that after the trade deadline when you know guys that maybe are here now and getting minutes are maybe not here anymore. But I, they are not trying to be the process Sixers. They are not oh, trying no, to. They no. are not trying to be Detroit or Washington where there's just like they have these young guys or like last year's Rockets. Like you saw, like. The Rockets last year, the whole team was kids and it was a disaster. And then they spent a ton of money to bring in Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks, who were like, we need some adults. And that's why, you know, you saw like, yes, you know, you do want these young guys to get these reps, but you also don't want to put them in positions where you just throw them out there with no safety net. And then if they fail, then they lose their confidence and that could wreck their career. Like you saw that kind of happen. So uh, at the beginning of the season, so. They spent the first night I was in L.A. for opening night against the Clippers. Uh, Anthony Simons and Scoot Henderson were the two starters at backcourt, the two guard positions. Simons gets hurt in that game, has thumb surgery, misses the next six weeks. So for the uh, next four games until Scoot gets hurt, they started Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp together, and that did not go well. It was a disaster. And because both, you know, you can't start both, you know, those two guys, and like Shaden has gotten a lot better from where he was this time last year as a rookie, but you can't start two guys that young and that inexperienced together. Like it's just not going to go well. They're going to make too many mistakes. They kind of realize that you need some adults there. You need like some, you know, some steadying presence, and that's why, like, you'll see, you know, again. He closed with Malcolm Brogdon yesterday because Malcolm Brogdon isn't going to throw the game away by turning the ball over because Malcolm Brogdon is a professional and an eight-year veteran and knows how to play basketball more so than some of these young guys are. And so there's a balance that you have to strike by – and this is why I think, for example, Jeremy Grant is a guy that I know comes up a lot now that it's trade rumor season. It's somebody that I don't think is going to get traded at the deadline. They realize that, like, yes, you want to develop these young guys, but you also have to have good players on your team. And it's not just like – oh, we're going to sign, uh, you know, we're going to have Udonis Haslam on the team, but he doesn't play, or like what the Knicks had with Todd Gibson, who's another one of my guys from Chicago, uh, <laughs> from the Tibbs era. Like we want, They were like, yeah, we want vets, but we want guys that actually can play. We want good players to also, you know, we want we don't want the entire thing to just be, well, if Stute shade and Shaden aren't ready for it, then there's just no safety yet. There's nobody we can put in to kind of calm them down or have – You know, they've they've liked having Brogdon out there with Scoot or Simon's out there with Scoot or with Shade. Like they kind of Chauncey has kind of like mixing that up and having those guys out there maybe handcuffed to one of those, you know, more veteran guards who might know what they're doing more because that's gonna eventually, you know, if they pick up one or two extra wins that sort of hurts them in the lottery standings, I think that's a little bit less important than long term you want these guys that you're building your thing around to develop better habits long term.
1: So I'm blanking on the title but the the Jake Fisher book that's the those that best there you him. go yeah Jake, Jake friend of the pod Jake Fisher um he talks about the the process six process sixers and how after Julia locofer had that Incident um yeah, in Philadelphia. Yeah.
2: yeah. They basically had to beg Elton Brand to come out of retirement Elton brandish Elton
1: Brand, Ish Smith, like, like Coach K literally called up um the NBA and was like, I'm sending guys to the league and I'm afraid to get them drafted by the the Sixers because of the situation they're getting put in. And I think the, right. uh, the and they point don't that wanna- you're making that sh- you need to have veterans in involved in your rebuild so that way. If, so that way, it isn't completely stunting their growth. And what it seems to be happening among the, the process era of the Sixers was that um, none of the guys that were part of the rebuild then were part of the future or even considered to be right. part of the future or knew if they were going to be part of the right. future, which is why with which what Portland's doing, it seems yeah. to be more putting them in situations where, okay, this is where you want to get to. So right. we're going to put you with guys that can give you something to, to reach toward, right?
2: And you know what else has been really valuable this season with that? And I mean, this is going to be like, a you know, the rest of the league is not going to view this as news. But for the first time this year, the Blazers finally, they were one of the last two holdouts. They finally have their own G League team. Mm. So they actually have a G League team that plays in Portland. And some of their guys, like, obviously, like the guys like Scoot and Shaden and like, you know, the guys that are actually playing aren't going to be doing anything there. But some of these guys, like, you know, some of their their other rookies are like, like Ryan repairs, this French kid that they drafted in the second round who they are very high on long-term, but he is very raw. He's not ready to play in the NBA, but he's been playing 30 minutes a game in the G league. And they're just like, go play in the G league and get those reps and play through mistakes and get better. And like, that's going to help you long-term. So like, there's a balance of like, yeah, they do want these guys to get reps, but they're also not going to go out there saying, Hey, we're cool. If we win 10 games, because you don't want to win 10 games. Like that's just miserable for as much as like, you can say it's better for the lottery odds. It's just miserable for everybody involved. Like, you know, who was on those process Sixers teams? It's Jeremy Grant.
1: Jeremy Grant. You know? Yeah.
2: And you know, I've, I've talked to him about it before. And I've also talked to, uh, back when I was my, one of my last years covering the bulls, they had Isaiah cannon and Michael Carter Williams who were on some of those process Sixers teams. And you talk to these guys about just, how miserable they were going into every single one of these games, knowing that they were going to get blown out by 30 and like, you just, you don't want to do that. You don't want to, you want to get these guys reps, but you also don't want to put them in positions where they get used to losing that early and they were just cool with it. And like, I'm going to be really interested to see how this goes down the stretch after the trade deadline, because I think Malcolm Brogdon is probably going to get moved. I, like I said, I don't think Jeremy Grant is because I think he's cool being here and they like him and, you know, they want to keep some vets around. But I wouldn't be surprised if he and like Anthony Simons and DeAndre Ayton and some of those kind of more veteran guys, they maybe do a little bit of what they did last year and, you know, suddenly those guys have like me knee, knee tendinitis or something that uh, they have to sit out but if they do that I mean what they did last year was so and like really the year before the year
1: before yeah was yeah. so
2: blatant and they were literally like signing guys off the street who would never uh you know who are just not you know not NBA players just to have enough bodies if they do that this year they're not going to sc- shut down Scoot because he needs the ref they're going to play him the whole way they're not going to shut down like Sh- Shade and maybe I don't know. He's dealing with an inductor thing. They might decide to do something with that at some point. But like, if they do that, at least Scoot is going to be playing in all those games because he's he's nineteen and he can play those minutes, and he actually needs the experience. So they're not going to go all the way with the, every single player on our roster that you've heard of is getting shut down.
1: So a couple things, and then I'll, I I have a follow up question. Uh-huh. First, the, the like what you were saying about what the Blazers did. Not what well, they did last year, and then really what they did two years ago. Yeah. Uh, I hope this doesn't come off as disrespectful, but we have a name for that in New York. It's called the Portland Pivot. Um, <laughs> we suddenly <laughs> just are like a one one win in 25 game team. And it's like, that's what we're waiting for after the trade yeah. they're like the Portland Pivot. And yeah. so it's really what we do. We, we call it in New York.
2: I think it's coming to an extent. I mean, look, I if that's what people call it, They don't have anybody to blame for that but themselves because that's Mm -hmm. what they were doing. They were trying to manipulate the lottery standings. And sometimes it worked out like, you know, in some cases, like the first year that they did it, they had the sixth odds in the lottery and they moved down to seven. Like Mm -hmm. they actually fell down a spot. They didn't jump up like they thought they would. Ended up working out okay because Shaden Sharp was there at seven and they took him and they're very happy with that. Last year, they did the same thing. They had the fifth odds. They ended up moving up to three. They get screwed and they were one digit off. I was actually in the lottery room where they did the drawing of the ping pong balls where they like take your phone and stuff. I did that this year. Mm. And they were one digit off from getting whammy. So it's like it can go either way. You could, you know, you, you could be, you know, you could do all the stuff that they did. Or like, you know, Detroit had the worst record in the league last year. They moved back to five all the way, which is a disaster for them. And so like... You know, th- there's only so much of that you can do, and I think, and I've I've told I've told people in the front office directly, like I don't want to watch another year because, like, I I cover all these. I'm not a fan per se, but I cover all these games. I watch all these games because I have to. I can't just check out when they decide to check out for the season. I have to watch all these games, and I'm just like, they're you're gonna. I've told people I've told people in the organization this, like, you guys are gonna lose the amount of games that you need to lose to get what you need to get done as far as lottery standings anyway, just because teams that are this young are never good. But play your guys, just lose the games organically. Don't don't. And I get it for some of the more veteran guys like Anthony's like Anthony Simons does not need to be out there playing in some of these games where you're tanking. But like if they do any if they pull any weird shenanigans with scoop, for example, like that's, that's going to be a problem, but well, I don't so, think they're going to do that because he's a kid and he needs the reps.
1: Well, so the, the the question I would then have is the, not necessarily the, the players that will still be there or on the other side of the deadline when the Portland pivot potentially happens, right. it's more who you think will not be there anymore. You said Malcolm Brogdon, I was, would assume, um, well, you said Jeremy Grant would still be around. So I don't is think there, he's going to be moved. So then other than um, Malcolm Brogdon, who might, who else might not be on the roster on the other side of the deadline?
2: The other guy that I might keep an eye on. Like, if you ask me like, they're gonna trade play one player. Who do you feel is the most strongly that they're gonna trade? My answer would be Malcolm Brogdon because okay. it's just an obvious thing where he, you know, he play. He's a guard, and the, all the young guys they're building around are guards. And he's the type of guy like they can probably get a first from a contender for him if, if if because like that's the type of guy that you want to have. If you know, you look at what he did with Boston last year, and like some of the teams that wanted Drew Holiday, like you know, or you know, Utah or the Knicks or whoever could get you know. There would be interest in Malcolm Brogdon. Like they'll I think I think it's gonna make sense for them to do that. The other guy that I would say is maybe like 50-50, and I could see that going either way, but is maybe somebody to sort of just, you know, keep in your back pocket as somebody that might get moved would be Matisse Fible. Because what he the, the type of guy that he is, in terms of like, you know, he's this, you know, perimeter defender and He's become a lot better three-point shooter as soon as he stopped playing for Doc Rivers and was like, allowed to shoot and was allowed mm-hmm. to actually play. Uh, what he does, he's one of those guys where like, what he does is more valuable to good teams than to teams in Portland's position. And he's also on a pretty good contract. He signed that offer sheet with Dallas that was three years, $33 million. So he's basically making mid-level money. So that's a guy that I think there's going to be some interest in from better teams at the deadline that need, you know, up some perimeter defensive upgrades. So that's besides Brogdon, I think that's the other guy I would maybe look at, but they also, you know, they'd be happy to keep him too. Cause they, they like him and he's a good locker room guy and he still, you know, is somebody that they, you know, they like what he does and it's hard to replace what he does, but that outside of Brogdon, that's the other guy I might look at and say there's a chance maybe something happens there.
1: So based on what you're saying, DeAndre Ayton is there for the long term too.
2: That's a good question. I don't. I mean, the Aiton thing.
1: It's I, know so he's, I know he's injured at the moment. We should say well, that. By the way, this is like
2: this is like late breaking news, and I, this this broke literally while we were on the on this podcast. Uh, he has been upgraded to doubtful for tomorrow.
1: So he was out initially, and I I know the last thing I saw was no timetable for return. And so now he's doubtful for Tuesday.
2: He's doubtful. but that that means is, I mean, maybe he doesn't play, but the fact that he isn't listed as out, that means, A, he's with the team again because he wasn't with the team for the beginning of the road trip. I don't even think he was there. At least I didn't see him, and Chauncey said, we asked him pregame, and he said, uh, we're hopeful that he rejoins us at some point on the road trip. But he was staying in Portland to get treatment, so he wasn't even on the trip until now. So, uh, I think like, so the fact that he was upgraded to doubtful means a, he's physically here in New York now with the team and B, if he doesn't play tomorrow, maybe he'll play, uh, one of the last two games of the, of the road trip in Oklahoma city or Minnesota. But as far as like overall, how that is going, it's hard, so hard to kind of, It's hard to really definitively say one way or the other, because there have been times where like he like there are a couple games where he was awesome and there are other games where, you know, he's passive or it's not, you know, and for and what's interesting is that for all of the reasons that he might have to be frustrated with the situation in terms of like he's not getting a ton of looks or a ton of touches or a ton of plays called for him for the first six weeks of the season or so body language was good, said all the right things, the attitude was good, all that stuff. I don't know. I think everybody's just kind of still trying to feel out the relationship. And, you know, do I think it was an upgrade, you know, when they made the move, is it an upgrade over Yusuf Nurkic? Yes. I think from a ta- both from a talent standpoint, and I think also just from a, with both the team and with Nurk, it was just time for them to move on, just in the same way that like the Aiden thing, in Phoenix was just never going to be able to, it wasn't that bad with Nurk, but I think it was just kind of time for that to not be, you know, what it was anymore. But, uh, as far as long-term, I think he could be the long-term guy here in Portland. If he wants to be, if he, you know, if what he, there are certain games where, I don't have the game logs off the top of my head, but there've been a couple of games where he's been the reason that they've won these games And you know, you see what the talent level is and, you know, what he can do when he's healthy and locked in and stuff. If he were to do that every night, then yeah, he could be the long-term guy. I don't think, I don't think they are, you know, looking at, I don't think DeAndre Ayton, I think the only two guys that are completely, you know, when you're talking about like trades or who they're going to build around, the only two guys that I think are just absolutely 100% completely, you know, untouchable off the board right now are probably Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp. But They still want the Aiton thing to work. I think at least for the next couple of years, that's going to be the guy. Beyond that, I don't know. But I don't. When I say I don't know, I'm not saying like I like. I don't think one way or the other that any decisions have been made there or any really. You know, there's really any clarity on that. But like, it's it's the kind of thing where like, yeah, they could try to trade him, but like, who are you going to get better right now?
1: So it's very much a if we seal a deal we like we'll do it, but in the meantime yeah. we're in no we're not in a rush to do a fire sale, is Correct. what you're saying. It's really viable. Th- it maybe be, be it chopped around and Aiden not Aiden uh, Brogdon will have suitors potentially one in the New York Knicks um, that could potentially work. Yeah, but, no, um, I think I
2: think Brogden. I mean the other thing about the Jeremy Grant thing that I have been trying to you know explain to people when they ask me about him is we've talked about why it makes sense for them to trade Malcolm Brogdon because all of their young players that are like their core guys they're building around are guards.
1: Oh, guards, yeah.
2: Jeremy Grant is not blocking anybody's minutes that needs the development. Like, he's not he's not like them having Jeremy Grant. There's not some guy that they have that is like, oh, they need to play this guy more, and Jeremy Grant being there is blocking him. Like, that, that is not... The, that that like that dynamic is just not there with, like, Tumani Kamara is getting minutes. Shabari Walker is getting minutes. You look at their other young forwards. Those guys are not having anything blocked by Jeremy Grant being there. And if anything, it's beneficial for a bad team to have a guy that's, like, going to score 20 points a game and be able to be, like, a late-game option on, on offense if, no, if all these young guys don't have anything. Like, it's – Jeremy Grant being in Portland making the money that he's making is not harmful to the Rebus.
1: Makes sense. the last thing I'm going to ask you before I get out of here, which I mean, you kind of inadvertently answered the kid, the Knicks potentially trade for Malcolm Brogdon question, but in general, um, your thoughts on the Knicks um, going into this matchup, whether it be your reaction to the OG and OB trade and what they gave up and what they obviously got back and who they have put, to, what the starting five that they put together and just did your, your overall impressions from afar of the Knicks and uh, whether Malcolm Brogdon would Take them to a different tier, in, in as far as contender status is in the East, uh, Brogdon
2: would do well, I think, on a lot of contending teams. That's just the type of the, he's mm. another guy where, like, what he does is valuable on both teams. Makes like, sense, you know, he's just like a pretty steady guy now. So as far as, as a whether, backup
1: point guard, that yes, would, exactly yeah, exactly. Now, as
2: far as like whether a trade with the Knicks is going to happen, I, I haven't gone through like which picks do all these teams have and which salary filler makes sense. And, you know what? Uh, any of that stuff. I haven't fully sat down. The
1: biggest through. obstacle. I, honestly, I don't even think is the picks. It's the, he's the clutch client part of it. So oh, I, I yeah, think, but eh, like I, that's a, I, I mean, know, I know. Mean, I know. I, I, know, is a thing, I know, you know all the CAA,
2: I know all the CAA stuff with the Knicks, but like, I feel like when it's Malcolm Brogdon and it's not a guy that you're trading for to be like the face of the franchise, I feel like that might be a little bit less of a thing than, like the DeJounte Murray thing, I get a little bit more from the Knicks not doing it because he's a clutch guy standpoint because you're trading for DeJounte Murray to be like more of a featured guy. Malcolm Brogdon, you trade for him because he's a steady, dependable veteran backup point guard. That's not something that I think you don't do because he's a clutch guy.
1: I do wonder if the Cam Reddish thing warned us to that they may never do business with clutch again, but there is also the report that how they're going to was
2: How much of that was clutch and how much of that was just Cam Reddish's... Is is what Cam Radish. Is, I think it was right? a combination. He was, in, he was um, in Portland for a minute last I'm, year. Too, I remember. Was, Believe me, I, mean, I remember. They, they did not. They did not keep him or make any effort to keep him. I mean, he's had a couple good games with the Lakers, but yeah. You
1: know, I think the. It to them, it's still their clients was sure. traded to the Knicks and right. saw like twenty seven straight DNP's. Whether right or wrong, well, and I mean again, like, Tom has guys, guys that he likes that. and he doesn't
2: like. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it, I don't know if there was an edict that was like. I mean, you might know this better than I would. But I don't think there was an edict of like the CAA powers that be were like, oh, Cam Reddish, the clutch guy. We're not going to play him. I just think Tom has types of guys that he likes and that he doesn't like. And Cam Reddish is not really a Tibbs type of guy. But as far as like overall, what yeah. I think of the Knicks, I think they, I think the roster, And like I understand that like a lot of Knicks fans probably were not happy that they traded
1: quickly. Because, I think it's more 50 50 about the, the, fa- the happiness level of the fan base. I just trade. see, yeah. I just
2: see what I just, you know, I just see like I, as in the immediate aftermath of the trade, I just saw a whole lot of, man, I can't believe we traded quickly. And like, and he's really good. I told him, mm-hmm. I get it. But like, I thought that trade made both rosters, both them and the Raptors. I think it made both of those teams make a lot more sense because the Raptors needed a guy like quickly in terms of like a, a lead ball handler and a score, you know, scoring guard like that. And the Knicks needed, I think. I think what OG does, and first of all, OG also a total tips guy. That's a, I, I don't know. I thought I thought the trade was fine on both sides, and I think both teams got better because of the trade.
1: I think the so uh, Jared Dubin came on with us. Uh, Another one of my guys. I'm just listing all your friends today, aren't I? Yeah. And he he I thought me made, made the best point as far as trying to verbalize my inner feelings about the trade. Mm-hmm. And it's like I didn't want them to trade quickly, but damn it, if they didn't make me like the quickly trade and the fact that it was for OG Ananobi, like I'm I'm Ooh. able to swallow that pill a yeah. little easier in this in the fact that. It's for the perfect guy that they needed to really make the starting five something pretty great. Um, and so I guess we'll see. We'll, we'll see how this, yeah. this, I team only does watched, this matchup.
2: I, the only game of the Knicks that I've watched since the trade was the first one against Minnesota. Mm-hmm. He looked awesome in that game. and it, like, it seems like it's a really good fit. So I, I think you know there''s, there's and I, you know we see this all the time. you and I are both. Uh, I, I hate this term, but sports content creators or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's always this rush to have to be like, oh, who won the trade? Who lost the trade? Oh, yeah. Just have these snap reactions. I kind of think for what both teams were trying to do, I feel like they both – I mean, I'll, t- I'll say this. Uh, Joe Cronin, the Blazers uh, general manager, has talked since he took over the job about two years ago about when he does a trade. And he did one with the Knicks last year, the, the Josh Hart uh, trade. He likes his goal with any trick, cause like there are some GMs like you know, Masayu is one, Danny Ainge is one, where like they love to hear about like, you know, they, they love to have the news cycle, like, oh, this guy fleeced this guy. Joe has talked about how he likes to do a deal, and his goal is for both teams to walk away from the deal feeling like they got what they needed to get out of it. And I feel like this is one of those deals with the Knicks and the Raptors where I think both of them did what they needed to do in terms of you know I think they both came out better than they were before the trade both sides of it and so I don't think it's a winner loser type of situation or who got the better end of it I think it made sense for both sides and I think both teams have been playing better since the trade than they were before it so I I, I think that, I think this trade was a win win.
1: So if I could ask one last follow up before we we wrap up the the notion that I mean that's pretty enlightening that Cronin would say that that that's how he enters into trade negotiations from my perspective on the outside, seeing what went on with Miami over the summer, (laughs) like what happened that did he just not feel that Miami was operating under the same faith and that he got more cooperation in trying to um, both sides walking away with what they wanted, that he found that in Milwaukee, but he didn't find that in Miami.
2: I think part of it might've been that. I think part of it was how public uh, Dane's, I don't want to relitigate all this stuff because I did that all summer and I'm over it. But like, mm-hmm. just sick of talking about it. But I don't think they liked how public Dame's representation was with the only Miami we're going to blow up any other potential deal stuff. And I think because of that, like the the Blazers and the Heat did not even talk most of the summer. Like the one time they talked was at summer league, and the way I understand it, the Heat basically said, uh we're your only option. We'll give you Tyler Hero and two firsts and you'll be happy about it. And Joe at that point was like, okay, well, I don't have to take you guys seriously if that's what you're going to do. And But I think the other part of it was I think he genuinely didn't really like the stuff that Miami had to offer. And like, I know now like Jaime Jaquez looks awesome and he's, you know, in the running for rookie of the year. But like, that's the type of guy that's like a nice player to have for a good team. That's not like a... Centerpiece of a Damian Lillard trade type of like, uh, you know, this is the young prospect we got back, and this guy is going to be a superstar in three in three years. It's not like a you trade Paul George, you get back SGA type of thing. And I don't know. I, again, I don't want to relitigate this stuff, but when you look at when you look at like what they ended up getting, like Tumani Kamara came over from Phoenix as the eight part of the trade, and he's already starting for Portland, and uh. The pick that they got from the Celtics in the Drew trade from the Warriors—that's this year's pick—that could be lottery pick, and they're probably going to get another first for Brogdon at the deadline. I, I think it ended up working. And honestly, as much as like Dame was very adamant during the summer about wanting to go to Miami, and was very public about that, he ended up in a better basketball. And I know the Bucks have not; their season hasn't been perfect, but he ended up in a pretty good basketball situation. It's not like they Blake Griffin him and just shipped him off to Detroit and were like, "Have fun." They sent him to a good situation where he has a chance to contend. So I think, I think overall that whole summer the deal worked out well for everybody involved. And honestly, Miami's fine. Like they have a good team this year. They're going to be in the playoffs, and you know you saw them make the finals as a seven seed last year. Like I think, I think everybody who was involved in that whole situation ended up in a better place than they were at the beginning of the summer.
1: Yeah, the the Heat are able to claim Jaime Jaquez is another Heat culture uh, revelation and victory. And Dame yeah. is on a team that is twenty four and seven against everybody but the but the Indiana Pacers. So um, <laughs> does
2: it feel? By the way, I I get that this is totally unrelated, but I I get that there's a whole lot of like weird scheduling stuff because they had to schedule stuff around the tournament, around the in season tournament, but. Does it feel like the Bucs and the Pacers have played 10 times already yeah. this season? <laughs> like, well, so
1: it's the Bucs and the Pacers, and then they've played eight times against the Knicks because the Knicks' right? reward for making the tournament <laughs> was yeah. an extra game against the Bucs well, like, and an extra game against the Pacers.
2: Well, like the Blazers. Uh, like against the, Blazers, the Celtics, excuse Like here. Portland has already played the Jazz all four times that they're going to play this season. They just, they had the baseball series with Dallas, and then like their two games in Portland were like the two weeks before that. And their first home game after they get back from this road trip is against Phoenix, who they've also played like three times in the last month. So some of these teams, I look at them on the schedule, and just like, again? Haven't they played them all the time?
1: Like, Sean, the, the Knicks have played the Bucks already four times. They played them on Christmas uh-huh. and two days before. So they played them like twice at the Garden in the span That's of three days. That's a thing, by the way. If you're, hyping up a,
2: if you're hyping up a Christmas matchup as like this is, you know, the Knicks versus Giannis or like the Sixers and the Heat. That was the other we one. We haven't seen
1: it since, with, since two days like, ago. Yeah. yeah, right.
2: Like you, you shouldn't have that be the second half. I don't know. I, well, the so
1: they had they had just seen Giannis four times right. and they just played the Sixers for the first time in right. January on right. a Friday night. Right, so right, right. You stuff, know, that's a division above, opponent, you know. This stuff
2: is above my pay grade to decide, but I did think that was a little bit weird.
1: No, as did we. And we um, as respectful as possible. We are as Knicks fans excited for the schedule to lighten up a bit. Maybe we play some games at the garden. And while they are coming in off of victory, the, the blazers there, there is some hope that the Knicks are going to be able to, to get on a bit of a role in this matchup against Portland on Tuesday night. Um, last words, any, any predictions about not necessarily the score or like win or loss, but to a Knicks fan that might be worried about facing a 10 and 25 team. Um, what would you say to them?
2: I'm personally going to be very curious to see how the Blazers come out tomorrow, because if they come out like they did against Brooklyn, I mean, like, like I talked about it earlier, just how the first three games of this road trip that, one in Phoenix. And you then almost the two needed
1: to get that Brooklyn. Those first
2: three games could not have gone worse. And really the most alarming one was the second Dallas game because they get blown out in the first one and it's like, okay, Luca went off and he got a million free throws, whatever. There's nothing you can do about that. But to have that type of loss and then Luca to not play in the next game and you still get blown out like that's tough. Mm-hmm. that's not, that's not a good sign for, and because because before that, and like, I, you know, I, again, we talked earlier about like fan reaction to, the, you know, a rebuild and social media chatter and all this stuff. Most of the feedback that I had gotten from fans and readers and subscribers and all of that was that people knew that the season was going to be what it was as far as the record, but they liked watching this team because they're young and they play hard and they're competitive. And, you know, they're in most of these games, even if they're losing a lot of them. and, I felt like in the first three games of the road trip where they got blown out in all three of them, and then especially they got blown out in that last Dallas game without Luca after they got blown out with by Dallas before, like I felt like a lot of that sentiment was starting to wear off a little bit. And now Hmm. people were wondering if it had turned a corner and not in a good way. And so then, you know, you have that game against uh, Brooklyn last year where even if they had lost, I think they would have been happy with the effort because they were in that and it was a little bit more like what it was at the beginning of the season. So if Portland comes out tomorrow against the Knicks who are, you know, the Knicks aren't a title contender, but they're good. Like they're a playoff team and they are decent. That's a better team than the Nets team that they just beat. But like if they come out with that kind of effort and it's a game, even if they lose if it's but if it's, if it's a game, if it's a really, you know, a competitive game and they're in it and it's not just a blowout, they'll feel good about like, okay, those first three games of the road trip were just a blip. And now we've kind of righted the ship if they come out flat again and get run off the floor and that nets game where they were competitive and they did end up winning was just a blip and they're back to what it was the first three games and i wrote this last night that's going to tell us something different so i'm very curious to see how they come out either way whichever way it goes
1: so my curiosity and the the uh the wonder of whether or not they they do come out flat three days in New York City and whether or not that could potentially yeah. lead to them coming out flat and with the need to get out of the Big Apple after some, some time in the I big city. Know. So, know. so we'll see on Tuesday night. Sean, uh, you've been great with your time. Before you get out of here, please tell everybody they can find you and all your stuff.
2: Well, RoseGardenReport.com. It's it's a pretty similar thing to what you... I mean, it's on Substack, which is what Nick's Film School is on, too, and you guys do terrific work. I think I think the way that... I think I would say... I. I don't want to say I'm doing the same thing with the Blazers as you are with the Knicks, because I think what we do is a little bit of a different thing because you, you guys are a lot more into like the breaking down the film and doing like the X's and O's and that type of stuff. And whereas I'm more of like just, you know, a beat writer, like I'm at all the games and practices and I'm, you know, that that's kind of more what I'm doing, but I, you know, I, you know, I cover the team pretty comprehensively. I'm at all the stuff. I don't travel much. I just, I did this trip for, you know, they're, this one made sense to do so i am in new york i'll be at the game tomorrow but i i feel like if you're interested in reading any kind of you know comprehensive coverage of the portland trailblazers whether that's a team you're a fan of which you know i don't know how many of your li- i would imagine most people listening to the nicks film school podcast are probably nicks fans so i don't I know how many people that applies so, yeah. to but like If you're just, I don't know, like I, uh, there are people out there who are maybe fans of a team, but, you know, like knowing what's going on with other teams, if you want to kind of be, well, you know, keep kept up to date on what's going on with the Portland Trailblazers, maybe you're a Scoot fan, maybe you just are interested in how the rebuild goes. I, I believe that what I do, for those of you that decide to pay and subscribe, I believe that I give you your money's worth in that. So that's, that would be my pitch.
1: It's called The Rose Garden Report. The link to subscribe is in the description of both this episode on YouTube and, of course, in your podcast feed. We support people on Mm Substack here at Nick's Film School. So please uh, support the people that we recommend and that make time for us to come on our podcast. Uh, Sean, thank you so much.
2: Great to talk to you, man.
1: Once again, a big thank you to Sean for coming on today's show. Hope you enjoyed it. Apologies for for the mic issues. He was in a hotel room. There's never great acoustics in a hotel room, but uh, we persevere anyway. Uh, but I appreciate him making the time. He actually like got asked to do this last minute because I had a guest. That guest is very sick, apparently, and uh, was able to set this up. So uh, thank you to Sean for being able to do this last minute. You know what to do. The KFS bump. If anything, just sign up for the free newsletter if you're not trying to pay for the KFS bump, or if you're interested in the KFS bump being a subscription to a Portland podcast or a Portland newsletter, by all means, the Rose garden report that sub stack is in the episode description of this podcast. As far as I'm concerned, that'll do it for me. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five star rating and a review. I'll be back with this podcast on thursday morning to preview the matchup against the mavericks as far as your post game is concerned that's also an apjp special so i'll be off on tuesday celebrating six months of marriage shout out to mrs claudio i just shouted out my wife like i would ag1 um love you babe i can't wait to celebrate six months with you tonight and until next time thank you for listening enjoy the game tonight and i'll speak with you soon peace